Welcome to the Hope Story Podcast, where we share resources, encouragement, and hope for families of children with Down syndrome. Here's your host, husband, dad, and founder of Hope Story, Rick Smith. Welcome to the Hope Story Podcast. This is Rick Smith, and today I'm excited to introduce you to one of my friends and also just another dad raising a child with Down syndrome who has a very inspiring story. You might have seen one of their viral videos going around online about their sock business, John's Crazy Socks. And so today I want to welcome to the Hope Story Podcast my friend Mark Cronin. Mark, welcome to the Hope Story Podcast. Well, thank you, Rick. I'm really excited to be here. This is great. What you're doing is really terrific, and any opportunity we have to work with people that are have the same mission, let's show what people with different abilities can do. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys have always been so kind and just so warm and so welcoming, not just to me, but I think that's really just what you guys are known for, and so thank you for the kindness. I want to jump right into it. So right off the bat, you know, December, actually November 2016, John comes in, tells you, hey, I want to start a business. Really, within a month later, December 9th, you guys launched this business. It's only been around for a few years. I got another article in front of me that said you guys have sold over $4 million in sock sales. Let's hear the story. Tell us the John's crazy socks story. How did you go from, hey, let's start a business, Dad, to selling over $4 million in socks? Well, I think it's important to understand the origins because this is a situation that faces millions of families in the U.S. John was in his last year of high school. So in New York and generally across the country, people with a disability can stay in high school until either they graduate or they turn 21. So he was in his last year and he was trying to figure out what am I going to do when I'm done with school? And we were working with him to do the same. He was looking around at different uh, programs. We looked at different educational opportunities. He started looking for a job um, because he had worked before. He had worked with me in an office. He had worked in the kitchen at a day camp. And the reality is there aren't a lot of great opportunities for people with different abilities. So he didn't see anything he liked. And he comes to me and says, Dad, I want to go into business with you. You know, it's like a a natural entrepreneur. I see a problem and I don't see a solution. I'll just make a solution. So his idea was, let's go start a business. We had a, a few conversations about it. His first idea was we should open a fun store. He'd walk around and say, Dad, we'll get a fun store. And I kept saying to him, well, what are we going to sell? What is a fun store? <laughs> and then we saw the movie Chef. It's a John Favreau movie. Uh, it's, it's a neat little film about a father and son coming to terms with each other, but they do it by running a food truck. So John sees this and says, Dad, we should open a food truck. And that's lots of fun. Right, let's think about what we could make and do. But we ran into a problem, and as John would tell you, we can't cook. So, <laughs> so that wasn't going to work. But right before Thanksgiving... He came and he had drawings and he said, we should sell socks because he'd worn these crazy socks all his life. That was kind of his thing. We used to drive around looking for them. You know, and as he likes to say, they always let me be me. So if you got to start a business, the traditional way is you come up with an idea and then stop everything to put together a business plan. That's not what we did. We decided to go the lean startup route. Let's get something up and running and test the idea. So John already had the name. We got a little bit of inventory. We built a website. We built it on the Shopify platform, which makes things easy. The only marketing we did was to set up a Facebook page and made some videos of John talking about his socks. Though we noticed something unusual, those videos started getting shared around, and the viewership kept growing. So we opened on Friday, December 9th, 2016, and we were very pleasantly surprised. We received 42 orders the very first day, and we didn't know what to expect, right? Nothing. Would you get one order? But we got all these orders, and most of them were local. We live on Long Island, outside of New York City. We live in a town called Huntington, 
So it was natural that most of the orders came from the Huntington area. John was in high school. We had temporary office space in Huntington Village. That's where we lived. And what we did with those first orders is we decided to make home deliveries. So we got red boxes, put the socks in the boxes, looked at it and said it needs something else. We went across the street to the grocery store, got bags of Hershey's Kisses, poured those in the boxes, and John wrote thank you notes to everybody. And we drove around and delivered these socks. It was great fun. John loved it. There were some times when it was late. We were out at like 10 o'clock at night delivering these socks. And there's John knocking on doors, people peering out windows, you know, what's going on here? And John saying, it's just John with your socks. <laughs> but, you know, as he says, the customers loved it. People took photographs. We had customers reordering just so John would come back to their door. Word began to spread. And by the end of that month, really two weeks, we had shipped 452 orders and had $13,000 in revenue. Wow. So we learned a few things. And I think it's, it's really important to note that you always learn by doing. Uh, you're doing that with Hope Story. The more things you do, the more things you learn. You're doing it with your podcast. As you start doing more interviews and more podcasts, you're going to get better at it. You figure things out. And that was true for us. So we learned, one, people want to buy socks. Two, they wanted to buy socks from John. Right? They liked the idea that we had already pledged 5% of our earnings to the Special Olympics. They liked the personal touch. And something we didn't anticipate, we started getting emails and some phone calls of people talking about how John was an inspiration for them. That they connected, and it was a deep emotional connection. Because they had a child with Down syndrome or a sibling or a relative. This was not something we expected, right? Because John's my third son and John was just being John. And we still have trouble wrapping our heads around this of John being some sort of special inspiration because he's just John doing what John does. We took that motivation uh, and said, okay, we can go and grow this business. So what we've created is a different type of business model. It's a social enterprise. We have a business mission, and the business has to succeed for us to go on. But we also have a social mission, and that social mission and the business mission are indivisible. They feed off of each other. So John would tell you our overall mission is very simple. We're spreading happiness, but we're doing it by employing and showing what people with differing abilities can do. What an amazing story. So they were sharing the photos. What was the moment where you go, we went from 46 orders to gangbusters? Well, <laughs> so you, like I say, you learn by doing. In December of 2016, there we are, 452 orders. In January of 2017, we learned firsthand that people don't buy things in January because they spent all their money at the holidays. So I think we sold 168 orders all month. In February, that's when we introduced our Down Syndrome Awareness Sock, our Autism Awareness Sock, and we started getting some traction. So in February, we grew you know, sixfold. We, we had uh, 1,000 orders or almost 1,000 orders in February, which seemed great. The first weekend of March, we held a, a pop-up shop at a bar and restaurant in uh, Huntington Village. And that went great. A lot of people came out. It was a good day. And that afternoon or evening, John and I drove out to a place called the Meatball Place, one of John's favorite restaurants. It was like 45 minutes from our house. And while we're driving, all of a sudden, my phone starts dinging. If, if anybody's out there and they, they have a store on their Shopify platform, they'll know that the default setting is every time you get a sale, you get a little dinging sound. It's kind of like a little cash register sound. Yeah, which is funny because I heard another podcast with you guys on it, and the host was saying that in the background, there's a lot of cha-ching, 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 and he said your sales were going off through the roof while he was doing the podcast interview. Right. That's happened. 
my eldest says it's like a little pheromone release. You know, it kind of gooses yeah. you a little. Well, anyway, we're driving, and all of a sudden, the phone just starts going ding, ding, ding. It just keeps going. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. And, and it shows some of the hubris of us humans, or certainly this human. I'm sitting here at dinner with John, and I'm looking at our Google Analytics and our Shopify data, and our traffic is through the roof, and sales are going through the roof. And I'm trying, wait, what's this coming from? It turns out that the mighty, an online journal, really great online journal, put out a video that day about John and our business. It was a very simple video, a slideshow video. We didn't even know they were going to do it. And so that day, we got over a 1,000 orders. You know, and there are a lot of businesses out there that say, oh, we want to go viral. Watch what you ask for. You may get it. We were completely overwhelmed, right? It wiped out our inventory. We had a couple of part-time people working with us. Our warehouse, we were in this old house that was built in 1740 and converted to office space. So we had this one room where we stored our inventory. It was a crazy situation. But that's the first time that we thought we had something good, but that's the first time it really exploded. That is amazing. So now, how many employees work at John's Crazy Socks? It's varied. You know, we've had some ups and downs, and we're very seasonal. So right now, we have 22 employees, 19 of whom have a differing ability. But during the holiday season, we can have as many as 70 employees. And you were citing a number of $4 million in sales. Over the three, now three-plus years, we've done just under $10 million in sales and shipped a quarter million orders. Mark, that's a lot of socks. That is a lot of socks. That's about a million pairs of socks. Are you the parent of a child with Down syndrome and interested in sharing your story on a future episode of the Hope Story podcast? If so, please visit hopestory.org forward slash podcast and let us know. We may end up featuring your family's story on a future episode. And now, back to our show. Congratulations. I mean, the success is deserved. You guys are really fantastic. Your family is fantastic. What you're doing is fantastic. You know, on your website, you say, hey, we have built our business on four pillars. Inspiration and hope, which is obvious from what you just shared. Socks you can love. I have a pair of socks. In fact, Hope Story, we've ordered some socks from you guys that folks can order on our website. Make it personal, giving back. We talked about the inspiration and hope. People can go to your website and see the socks are awesome. But what about the giving back piece? I think that is a really awesome part of your business model. It's a really relatively simple idea. It's not enough to just sell stuff. You've got to connect and you've got to give back. And it will seem almost trite, but we've learned that the more we do for others, the better off we are. Our giving back program operates in a couple of ways. It starts with the pledge that 5% of our earnings will go to the Special Olympics. John is a Special Olympic athlete. In fact, the reason he's not with me here today, he's upstate in Rochester, New York, for the New York State Special Olympic Athletes Congress. And then this weekend, he'll be competing in the snowshoe event at the New York State Winter Games. So the Special Olympics has been important to John. We hire other Special Olympic athletes. So we start with that giving back. We then have created a series of products that raise money for organizations that work with people with different abilities. So the first one were the Down Syndrome Awareness Socks. And and I'll give you a little background on that. It's back in January of 2017. And we're trying to find things that will sell. And at that point, all we were doing was reselling other people's socks. We learned then that people celebrate World Down Syndrome Day, March 21st, by wearing crazy socks. You would have thought we knew that ahead of time, but we're not that smart. So we go looking for a Down Syndrome sock that we can sell and couldn't find one. Nobody made one. And John was the one who looks at me and says, we should make one. So he designed those Down Syndrome Awareness Socks. So we call up two organizations, the National Down Syndrome Society and a local group, ACDS, and say, 
we're going to sell these Down syndrome awareness socks, and we want to give you money from each pair we sell. They were like, well, who are you? <laughs> but they were happy that someone would donate money. And it's more than just that, though. When people wear those socks, they're celebrating Down syndrome and people with Down syndrome. And that's a lot of what we do. You know, John is the face of the business. Don't put him in the back room. There's no shame. There's no embarrassment. In fact, it's we flip it. We're so proud of him. He's the face of the business. And when people wear the Down syndrome socks, they're saying long gone are the days where you're ashamed or we hide these people away. No, we're celebrating this. We're celebrating that my son, my daughter, my cousin, my sibling, my classmate, my neighbor, my friend has Down syndrome. So that's part of the giving back program. We have a whole series of products. We have autism awareness socks, Williams syndrome awareness socks, PSI love you, which are suicide awareness socks. We're introducing an anti-bullying sock. We have um, forget me not, which are Alzheimer's awareness socks. Uh, you know that there's a connection between Down syndrome and Alzheimer's. And all of these are designed to raise awareness and raise money for these causes. We also sponsor a $3,000 Autism Can Do scholarship. We donate boxes of socks for raffles and auctions for organizations. And, and that's become, quite frankly, a little bit of a challenge. We receive in some months over 1,000 requests each month for donation of boxes. Wow. So... Uh, we believe in clean air and better education and housing the homeless and the arts, but we limit it. We only send things to, uh, to groups that are working with people with different abilities. And we'll donate, you know, each box is worth about $100, and we'll donate between 15 and 25 a month. We also will sponsor different events. And when we do that, we're connecting more with our customers in the community. So that when people buy from us, they know what they're supporting. They can see it. They can see the people we hire and they know that they're going to help good causes. That is fantastic. That's awesome. And it's really awesome and really encouraging to hear how much of your staff, you know, has has a, a different ability. I, you know, I heard you say one time before that you want to show what's possible when you give someone a chance. And, and I really like that. One of the things I want to talk about, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording this episode, is, you know, in the special needs community, you know, there's some concerns about people getting a job and, and getting paid, which they should be paid well for their work, but then their paycheck actually prohibiting them or causing problems for them receiving benefits. And so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. One, how do you guys structure that? For your son, John, obviously, he's selling a lot of stocks. They have some money coming in. How do you handle that? And then how do you handle that for your employees? And just how do you feel about that? I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I'll talk more generally than I can talk specifically about John's situation. So if you have a differing ability, if you have a disability, you are eligible for SSI and for Medicaid coverage. This is really important because Medicaid in most states will cover things that traditional health insurance does not cover. Transportation might be one of those things. But if you make too much money or acquire too much in assets, you lose your benefits. This forces people to make a choice between work and keeping their benefits. That's not a choice we wanna make people have to make. So from our business point of view, the way we deal with it is we hire people, we're willing to hire people who work part-time and who may work a limited number of hours. So fairly typical for us is somebody who might work 12 hours a week, three, four-hour shifts. That's good for them. It lets them keep their benefits. It's also good because sometimes that's all they can do, work a four-hour shift. And we make it work because they do good work for us. And then we piece together a workforce to meet those hours. And it works for us because we're very seasonal. During the summer, people don't buy socks. We'd like to change that. Maybe you can help us change that. Right? I, will. I, I like to wear socks all the time. Right. But during the holidays, we sell like crazy. So that's the choice that people face. And it can be very hard. I was hearing from one of our employees, from his mom, 
he worked a lot of hours in December, and that affected his benefits for all of 2020. Now, we have gone to Washington to advocate change in this. We've met with Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader. We've met with Nancy Pelosi. We've met with a number of other folks on Capitol Hill, all of whom agree this is a terrible choice, but nobody's doing anything about it because it would be very expensive to change and complicated to change. We should not be tying health insurance to employment. But, you know, that gets into yeah. a larger set of issues. Yeah, we could, we could have a whole podcast just on, on that topic. For our employees, you know, I understand if you reduce a stipend they receive if they're earning more money. But it's really the Medicaid benefit that's a big issue. Yeah, there's a lot of changes that can be made there. And I really am thankful for, you know, your thoughtfulness in that. A couple of other questions business related. What would you say to a business owner out there listening to this podcast who may be interested in hiring people with different abilities, may not know where to start? What would you say to the business owners listening? Well, and we say this all the time. We meet with a lot of businesses. Um, This is not charity. This is good business. We don't give jobs to anybody. We hire people that can do a good job. So I'll give you you our situation. Much of what we do, we run a pick and pack warehouse. It's a fulfillment shop, right? Anybody who sells online, they either have to contract out for that or do it themselves. Orders come in, you pick the order, you pack it, you send it out. We draw from three labor pools to fill that labor need. We draw from people with different abilities, moms. There are some dads in there, but people who want to put their child on the bus in the morning and then pick the child up in the afternoon off of the bus. So it's because we'll hire people part-time, we get people in that category. And then we get general laborers. Our starting salary is $13 an hour. By far, the best group of employees are the people with different abilities. They're excited to work. They're conscientious. They show up on time. They work hard. It makes for a great work environment. We live today in, in our country where we have a growing labor shortage. I hear all the time from employers, I can't find enough good workers. Yet, 80% of people with a disability are unemployed. It's just a matter of opening our, eye, our, our eyes and focus on what people can do, not what they can't do. So I'll give you a couple examples. Microsoft, and we've done a fair amount with Microsoft. They're in intense competition to hire programmers and other jobs or to fill jobs requiring technical skills. Well, they recognize that many people on the autism spectrum have those skills, but they weren't hiring them. Microsoft realized that was their problem, that they were rejecting people in the interview process. So they overhauled their process, and now they are hiring people on the autism spectrum in droves, and they're great employees. So that gives Microsoft a competitive advantage. That's what we urge employers to do. Focus on what your needs are. Focus on what you need people to get done. And then you're going to hire people with different abilities. Don't think of it as charity or I have to make work. We've listened. I've been on the panels with one particular Fortune 500 company. And I've listened to them talk about all the resources that they have devoted to hiring people with different abilities. And then when they get to the end, they talk about how they've hired one summer intern. Well, we're a little company. We have no government support. We have no special programs, no special training. And yet we hire people with different abilities because they do a great job. And it doesn't take overhauling your business to hire them. So I urge people to consider hiring folks with different abilities because it's going to help their business. I'll leave you one other analogy. I'm a baseball fan, right? I'm an American. That makes me a baseball fan. In 1947, the Brooklyn Dodgers broke the color barrier when they signed Jackie Robinson. The next two teams to integrate were the Cleveland Indians and the then New York baseball giants. Guess what? They became the best teams in baseball because they didn't look at why not to hire somebody. They only focused on what someone could do for their team, for their business. 
and it gave them a competitive advantage. I would extend that to hiring people with different abilities. The companies that hire people with different abilities are going to have an advantage over others. That is really good. Thank you so much for sharing that. Listen, I got one more question as it pertains to John's crazy socks. And the question is this. A while back, there was a article going around on the internet, and it was George H.W. Bush at Barbara's funeral. And at the funeral, he wore a pair of socks that he got from John. Tell us about that. How did George H.W. Bush get a pair of John's crazy socks? Well, it's actually John had become sock buddies, if you will, with former President Bush, George H.W. Bush. And the way it started was in the spring of 2017, we saw an article about how the former president, about how much he liked wearing crazy socks. John saw this and said, we should send him socks. John says that a lot. (laughs) So we sent him a box of socks. And sometime later, we heard back from the president's office saying he liked the socks so much, he'd like to get some more. So we sent him more socks, and he sent John socks. And then John sent him socks. So all this was happening. And then on uh, World Down Syndrome Day in 2018, the former president tweeted out a picture of him wearing John's uh, Down Syndrome superhero socks. And he thanked his friend John, uh, John Cronin, and John's crazy socks. And, and there's a strong connection there because it was President Bush, George H.W. Bush, who signed the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that changed the world. That changed the world for your son, for my son, and for millions of people. Then, when Barbara Bush passed away, The former president's office called and said that President Bush and the family wanted to wear socks to honor Mrs. Bush at her funeral. So we sent some socks that were made by one of our uh, suppliers, a company called Mod Socks. We sent their book theme socks down because of Mrs. Bush's commitment to literacy. And the president wore those socks the day of her funeral and tweeted out a picture and then explained why he was doing this to honor his wife. And that became this big deal. And one of the things we learned was and came to realize that the former president, he had been infirm for some time. So he's not meeting with the with the media. He was communicating with the world through his socks. He would wear different themed socks. So we sell those socks and they raise money for the Barbara Bush Family Literacy Foundation. And then when the president passed away, John was, Dad, we have to go to Washington to go and honor his memory. So we did. We went and waited in line to pay our respects in the Capitol. It was very important to John. So that's how that relationship came about. That's an awesome story. It's an example of... uh, You just put things out there. You go and do things for others. When John sent that first box of socks to President Bush, he wasn't thinking where this would lead. He just saw somebody who liked socks, and he knew he had signed the Americans with Disabilities Act and knew that it made a difference in his life, and he just wanted to give him a gift. The fact that it evolved into something else, well, that's all the more wonderful. But it just started with with a very simple act. What would you say, I want to switch it just a little bit now to family. So there's a lot of families of children with Down syndrome out there listening to the podcast. They have may have seen your story, seen a video, they're inspired. They want to do something. They want to make a difference. They want to be an advocate for their child. They want to do something perhaps similar to what you guys have done. What would be your thoughts to the parents listening out there that want to be like John's crazy socks? Well, the first thing I would do, I would adopt John. Um, first i'm not an expert i can share our experiences we've treated john similar to the way we treated our two older sons and to me a lot of parenting involves promoting the independence of our children and that can be challenging because it means we have to let them fail we have to let them take risk 
And then that can be particularly hard for parents with a child with a disability. And yet they're yearning for that independence and they want to earn it and demonstrate what they can do. So we kept pushing John. John kept showing to us that he could do more than we thought. He kept rising to the occasion and asserting his independence. And that's a good thing to do, right? That's a, that's a good thing for parents to do, that keep promoting that independence. I also know, and, and we, again, learned this with our older sons. And when it comes to education, you know, I'll share with our eldest guy, we were living in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, when he was about to hit school age. Greenpoint is now the center of hipsterdom in New York. We, we were early hipsters. We just didn't know it. So he's coming to school, and quite frankly, the, the public schools in that area were atrocious. And we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. And one of the options we considered was homeschooling. We knew people had homeschooled their children, and with great success. First, I, I kind of said to him, you know, son, we love you, but we don't love you that much that we're going to actually homeschool you. <laughs> but it turns out to be a false dichotomy. All of us, for all of our children, differing abilities, neurotypicals, we're always homeschooling. We're always looking for ways to teach our children, and they're always modeling what they see with us. So we take that to heart with John, and we always work very closely with his teachers at school. We did not have an adversarial relationship. We had a collaborative one that we knew what they were working on. They knew what our issues were, that we, what we saw, and we worked together towards that. So that's the second thing that I would share from our experience. I view the schools as partners, as collaborators in helping raise our children. You know, and then business, there's a broad range of options, and it depends on if I'm a parent on what I think my child can do, on his or her interests and abilities, and what I want to do. So I'll start at one end of the spectrum, and it's, well, we want to find something meaningful for our son or daughter to do. And that could be a job. It could be volunteer efforts. We want to find a way for our son or daughter to have an income, not necessarily to support themselves, but to be able to um, have some income to pay for things and have some dignity. You know, and that's a matter of finding work and finding a job. When the family gets involved, it could be that we want to do something and are willing to set something up for our son or daughter. And then it becomes a question of, well, what are you trying to do? Uh, at one end, it's we'd like them to you know, have a hobby and maybe they could sell some of that. Maybe we could support them in doing something. We know people where their son has a blog or they make little crafts and they sell those. And they're not really interested in making money from it but they want to support what their son or daughter does. And that takes some time and support from the family. There are some families that say, not only do we want to support our child, but we'd like to create a business that's viable. We know lots of people that do that. We've learned from some that have been working that, in fact, some have said they've been inspired by us. There's Austin's Underdogs and Blake's Snow Shack and and now we've heard about H-bomb ties and willpower ties uh, that said they were inspired by what John did. But here's the way you can think about it. You know, well, I'll give you the last option, which is, no, we want to create and run a meaningful business that's going to have other employees. And that's where we've wound up. There's Coletti's Cookies out of Boston that does that. There's a great organization here in Long Island. It's a not-for-profit called Spectrum Design that hires people on the autism spectrum and they make t-shirts and hats and logo items. And the way I compare those two options is thinking about subway franchises. A family could go and get a subway franchise and they could run that. And that's going to require the family to run that subway franchise and everyone's going to work there and they'll make some money out of that. Or they could say, we're going to own 10 subway franchises and someone else is going to run it and they're going to run that business. That's a different type of business then. And there's no judgment here about one better than the other. It comes back to what can the individual do and what does the family, you know, what do they want to do? Um, not every family is in a position to say we want to go start a business. 
And then the success, John and I have worked hard. We've worked with other people. We've benefited from a lot of wisdom and support with others. And we think we're pretty creative about doing things. But in the end, there's also a fair amount of luck. You know, John could have suggested we sell something else. He could have suggested we sell kites. And you and I would have never met, never been talking to each other. We were fortunate that he said, let's sell socks. Yep. A lot of people wear socks and you guys have sold a lot of socks. And thank you for sharing that. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom there. You know, one thing that I always want to encourage parents with is you don't have to sell $10 million worth of socks or you don't have to have a blog that everybody in the world reads to make a difference. A lot of times making a difference, it looks like being a friend to a new parent in your community or helping out to someone that just found out that their child's going to have Down syndrome and you can come alongside them and say, hey, I'm here for you. And so making a difference doesn't mean you have a viral video that millions of people see. I made sure a number of years ago, my two older boys, we took a trip driving around the country one summer. And when we stopped in Memphis, there's a civil rights museum there. And they have a mock-up of the bus that Rosa Parks sat on. And I made sure my boys understood that story about what one individual can do to change the world. And it doesn't have to be heroic in the sense that it's going to be on the, on the front page of the papers. It can be one solid thing that's going to touch others and affect others and make life better, even if just for one person. At Hope Story, we believe one of the greatest gifts for new parents of a child with Down syndrome is a friend who also has a child with Down syndrome and is a little farther along in their parenting journey. That's why we're working to connect OBGYNs with families raising a child with Down syndrome so they can connect their patients with parents who can offer friendship, encouragement, and hope. We call this the Hope Advocate Process. To learn more and to sign up to become a Hope Advocate, simply visit hopestory.org forward slash Hope Advocate. And now back to our show. Mark, that is gold. And you guys are really leading the way and, and really are an example to other business owners out there. You know, So thank you guys for what you're doing and the model that you're setting for other businesses. Well, listen, I, I want to switch gears. You know, a lot of people, when they talk to you or they see you online, they're talking about John's crazy socks. They're talking about your business. They're impressed by the $10 million worth of socks you sold. But besides being a business owner, you're also a dad, a dad of three kids. One of those kids happens to have been born with Down syndrome. And so I wanted to talk a few minutes with you about what it is like being a dad, being a dad to John, being a dad to your other kids, you know, hopefully dads listening to this podcast, dads that are new dads of a child with Down syndrome. And so would you mind taking us back to the birth story of John, what that was like for you? Sure. So we did not know that John was going to be born with Down syndrome. In fact, there's a little comical story of, uh, so my wife, we were, John was born in 96, so... We were 37 going on 38 when he was born. My wife's OB, at that time, the only way to do a prenatal test to see if a child had Down syndrome was uh, to do an amniocentesis, which was painful, risky, expensive, and had a high false positive rate. But my wife's OB strongly suggested she have this test, and she answered, uh, no, I, there's no need to, because it doesn't matter to me. This is my child, and I'm bringing this kid to full term. And I guess the OB said to Carol, uh, well, I'd like to talk to your husband about this. And I'm wondering how he walked out of that office alive after he said that. <laughs> but we, So we didn't know. And he was born in the middle of the night on President's uh, weekend, on a Sunday night, Monday morning. And the folks there weren't really prepared. Uh, there was some comical moments of uh, somebody came in and said, you know, we think your child might have a slight case of Down syndrome, and, but we have to confirm with the geneticist. And in retrospect, everybody knew. And okay, when he was born, first thing we had to do was to get up to speed on what this meant. What were the medical issues? 
I mean, this was our son, and we adored him already, right? So I had been up all day, and I went home, and I do what you do. I went on the Internet to learn more, and, I, and then I saw that, you know, Down syndrome, I liken it to an old-fashioned Chinese menu. Everybody gets everything in column A, and you get to pick and choose on column B, only you don't get to pick and choose. It's given to you. And I was waiting for my wife to wake up to tell her, we got to find out about the heart. Because about 50% of people with Down syndrome are born with significant heart defects. Well, she was very concerned because of the throw-up he was showing. She thought there was something wrong. Well, it turned out there was. His intestine was not fully formed. I referred to it that he had to have intestinal bypass surgery. They transported him over to the nearest tertiary care center, put him in the NICU, and, and those were some challenging days. My wife had had a C-section, so she was in another hospital. I'm with my son, and uh, he now has to have intestinal bypass surgery. I remember you know, we were Catholics, so um, I brought a priest in to baptize John before the operation because we didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, that operation was a success. And, and we had some bumps because he did have a heart issue. He had two holes in his heart. At first, they weren't telling us anything. And the first time we met with the cardiologist, he said kind of offhandedly, you know, they uh, try to save these babies nowadays. But John, uh, we got him to the right doctor in the right hospital. And he had open heart surgery before he was three months old. I remember that day. When they took him off for the surgery, they told us I had spent the night in the hospital with them. And they told us, just go home. It's going to be an eight-hour procedure. You should go home and rest. We went for a walk around the neighborhood. And we came back about two and a half hours later. My wife had gone upstairs. The, the waiting room and the operating rooms were on the seventh floor of the hospital. And while I'm waiting for the elevators, the surgeon keep walking out the side a side door and his personality was directly opposite of his surgical skills he just looks at me and says cronin operation is success good night and walks out the door i tell you rick i didn't need the elevator to go up to the seventh floor i could have flown <laughs> and i got up and grabbed my wife and i said did they tell you and she said no we're still waiting and i said no it's it's over because they had prepped us that this was risky surgery and he may not make it off the table. And you've met John. In those days, you know, we were measuring him in the grams. And, and, but that surgery happened and he's been healthy ever since. And I share that because this is pretty common among people with Down syndrome. They're going to face some medical issues. But we're very fortunate because there have been such great gains made in the medical area that these, we can address these issues. But then with John, we take it as it comes. And like I said before, we're always promoting his independence, always letting him show us what he can do. And he's a wonderment to us. You've probably heard the line, we were told this by many people. We come from deeply religious families. God only gives a burden to those he knows can handle the burden. And I think that's wrong. I, I think it's the other way. John has made us better parents. John has made me a better person. He's taught us how to be better. And, and I hear that all the time from families that have a person with a different ability. I can see it in our older boys, the kindness, the warmth in their heart, the empathy they show. A lot of that's been inspired and driven by John. And John, you know, we hear it and we're very, very fortunate in what we get to do and the, the way we get to spread the word. And, you know, we're like evangelists, right? We, <laughs> we've spoken across Canada, the U.S., Mexico. We were on the phone yesterday. We may be flying to Ireland to speak. But John, you know, the people talk about John being an inspiration, and I kind of joke that, or laugh, you know. He's the kid sitting next to me in a car texting me, Dad, I just farted. <laughs> you know, he's just being John. And... If we give that opportunity to everyone with a different ability, they're going to show us too. They're going to make the world a better place to live. They'll make our place of employment better, and they make us better people. 
Mark, that is so good. You know, I'm as a, another dad of a child with Down syndrome. I'm, I'm, I agree with what you're saying. Is I, you know, having a son like Noah, our nine year old with Down syndrome, has been one of life's greatest blessings for our family and for our friends and for the world. And we just love him. <laughs> we want other people to know how great it has been to be his mom and dad. Let me ask you this: What has surprised you about? being a father to a child with Down syndrome. What, what's been one of the, some of the surprising things that you didn't see coming? I didn't realize just how much of a joy it would be, just how wonderful it would be. You know, John has, he does light up a room, but he goes and earns it. And it's so wonderful to share these experiences with him. He's so enthusiastic about it. That's been a surprise. It's hard to cast my mind all the way back, but this has been easy. It's not been a challenge. In fact, in our family, my wife and my middle son both deal with depression. That's been pretty significant. And my middle son deals with anxiety. That's hard. Down syndrome is easy. Down syndrome is, that's easy. You know, depression and anxiety, that's hard. Yeah. I'll, I'll share an anecdote with you just about what can happen. So we saw you in New York City the day of the buddy walk. Earlier that day, while we're in Times Square and the National Down Syndrome Society had rented a billboard and ran a slideshow video of people with Down Syndrome. And uh, we're in that audience, and John's like a rock star, right? John, now all these people come over, they know John. But a woman came up to me and and hugged me and started crying. I was like, well, what's going on here? And and she explained that she came from Curacao, the, the island off of Venezuela. And that in Curacao, people with Down syndrome or other different abilities are shunned. That people are embarrassed and ashamed, and they hide them, and there aren't many services available. And her daughter got pregnant and tested positive that she was going to have a child with Down syndrome. And the reaction was, you're going to have an abortion. That's just matter of fact. Well, this woman went on to tell me how a few days later, she and her family saw a news story about John and and John's business. And she said it changed everybody's outlook and it changed the conversation. And she introduced me to her one-year-old son with Down syndrome and told me about how the community had rallied around. You know, John and me together, you know, we're just a couple knuckleheads selling socks. But we share that story, you know, of what John can do and to hear a story like that from that woman, how awesome. It's awesome. And it's just because you just want to keep showing, look what can happen. Just give people a chance. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I got I got two more questions. Thank you for sharing that story. That That is an awesome story, and it's touching, it's moving. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Last two questions. You know, I have two other children besides Noah. You have other children. What are your dreams for John? And how are those dreams different or similar from the dreams that you have for your other kids? The dreams for John and our other kids are all the same. We want them to be able to lead independent lives. You know, what, what do we do as parents, right? You, you want to make sure they survive. Right? But then it's two things. We share our values and we want to promote their independence so they can make the way, their way in the world as they best see fit. I hesitate to use the word proud or, or to talk about pride because that makes it seem like, you know, it was my doing. When in fact, this is their lives and it's the path they choose. To my eldest son, I really admire what he does. He's pursuing a career in improv comedy, which is, you know, kind of like pursuing a career in poetry. It's quite <laughs> wonderful, but, you know, you're not going to eat much. <laughs> But he balances that by doing meaningful work. He has a great job, but he's very careful in his choice of employment. He wants to do something meaningful. He works for a nonprofit that operates training programs. But he balances that to make sure he has time to pursue his improv career. That's a great way to do things. Now, if you asked me when he was younger, what do I expect? I wasn't going to walk around saying... I can't wait and hope, and all I do is hope my son's going to have a career in improv. We take it as it comes. You know, my middle son, he's had a little more challenge getting some traction. 
But I really admire, you know, it's easy if you're kind of, if everything comes easy to you and it's like riding a conveyor belt. I have such admiration for the way he's battled to overcome some of his challenges and adversity. And the same with John. You know, people ask me, we get asked, you know, well, when John was born, did you expect he was going to do this? Uh, no. Who would, who would imagine <laughs> it? You know, I'm making sure in this business that John has meaningful work the rest of his life and is financially taken care of. That's all I can hope for. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I got one more question for you. What would you tell a mom or a dad whose child has just been diagnosed with Down syndrome? Oh, I would say hug your child and what adventures await. I've said this and some people have countered me, but I don't think people you know, are rationally hoping that they have a child born with Down syndrome. But once your child is born, that's your child. Hug him, hug her, love him. Let them grow, help them grow, and just go along with the adventure. It's going to be so wonderful. And don't be overwrought with fears and worries. It's going to be easier than you think and more wonderful than you could ever imagine. I would echo everything that you just said. And if you are a new parent and you have stumbled across this podcast, I hope you're as encouraged as I have been talking with Mark. If you're listening to this and you don't know about John's Crazy Socks, I hope that you will go to johnscrazysocks.com, buy some socks, experience that happiness that they're in the business of giving. Mark, thank you for your time and for all of the wisdom that you shared with us today. Yeah, I don't know if I've got wisdom, but (laughs) I can share things that we're doing. And Rick, I love what you're doing. You know, you're making a difference in people's lives. And when people are starting off with the child with Down syndrome, just the the love you're offering and the support, that's going to keep blossoming throughout the life of that child. It's really quite wonderful. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate those words. I mean, your your family is a hope story. I mean, you guys are what I think about when I think about a hope story. But again, going back to what I said earlier, not just this miraculous story where we sell $10 million worth of socks, but everybody out there who has a child with Down syndrome, they're a story of hope to someone else. Right. Well, Mark, thank you again for your time and thank you for all that you guys do. Again, if you don't know about John's Crazy Socks, check out their website. I want to share with you that Hope Story has worked with John's Crazy Socks to produce a super fun sock that you, your friends, your family, your coworkers can wear on World Down Syndrome Day or really any day to show your support for people with Down Syndrome. You can order those socks on our website at hopestory.org. And I'll also put a link to where you can buy those socks on this episode's show notes, which you can also find on our website. Thank you, everyone who tuned in to the Hope Story podcast. As always, if you like what you heard, please give us a rating and a review on iTunes, and we will see you soon on another episode of the Hope Story Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hope Story Podcast. On our website at hopestory.org, you can find this episode's show notes, subscribe to our email list, and learn about how Hope Story is working to connect every OBGYN in America to a family raising a child with Down syndrome through our Hope Advocate process. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Hope Story Podcast.